Talk Radio 96.7. It's after five on a Friday. Repeat after me. Oh, yeah. And it's time to have our Bible questions answered. Ask the Preacher, brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church. They're located on North Socrum Loop in North Lakeland. Ask the Preacher with John Freed. He happens to be out this week, but sitting in is George Locke. Yippee, yippee, yippee. It is Friday. It was a great day of the week. Welcome to the program, everybody. Hey, just a reminder, this is a call-in talk show. You can join in on the conversation. You can ask a question about uh, something we're talking about, or you can ask a uh, question that's been drilling a hole in the back of your head for years or days or weeks. It can be off topic, but the phone number to call in and join is 863-682-1430. You can also check us out online at askthepreacher.com. Uh, you can submit a question there. We will do our best to answer it on the next radio program. You can check out previous episodes, um, and you can find out uh, the phone number in case you missed it, which is 863-682-1430. And John is not in studio today, but I'm filling in, and I appreciate the opportunity. And if you guys have listened before, you know that I'm a little bit of a nerd. And uh, most of the time, we do, we do kind of this conversation format where we talk about today's events and topics and things that are important for us. Um, and I think that's good, and I like doing that, but I also like getting down to the nitty-gritty. This is Ask the Preacher, and uh, it's important for us to know what we believe and why we believe it, and uh, that's known as apologetics, you know, having a foundation of our faith, and I don't uh, shy away from that. I enjoy digging into not only the... Uh, what some might consider the the elementary questions, you know, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it, but also the deep uh, mysteries of God, and and, uh, it's really interesting. So what we're going to do today is we're going to tackle a couple of different questions and topics, and when you call in and provide your own questions, we'll tackle those, but I like to go kind of quick on some of these questions, and sometimes I'll just mention a Bible verse without reading it, Uh, So hang on to your seats, and let's enjoy the program. The first question we have here, wow, okay, gets right into the uh, kind of a big question. It's it's this, Uh, since God knows all and sees all, why did he allow Eve to be deceived? That's a pretty good question, and uh, the answer is actually going to be pretty straightforward. It's actually in Genesis chapter 1. God is making everything, and uh, when he makes everything, the first thing he says about man uh, is pretty important. He says it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and then he repeats it again in verse 28. It's so important that God wants to reemphasize it. And uh, in Genesis 1, 26, it says, And then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us, and they'll reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and small animals that scurry along the ground. And I like the way the, the King James version or translation of the Bible says it. It uses a word, uh, dominion. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, it says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish and over the fowl 
and over everything that moveth upon the earth. And so God was giving a command and really setting out the mission statement, if you will, for the human race. He was giving the dominion of the earth. He was giving us this uh, opportunity to bring uh, his kingdom, if you will, to the earth and uh, to to spread humanity through our replenishing and our multiplying and our dominion over the earth. It was our humanity as a whole, our responsibility. And we go on and we see what happens in uh, Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3 is where we have this event where Eve, and we've talked about this before in, in detail in some previous episodes, Eve gets beguiled. Uh, and that's a really interesting word. We've talked about that before. It's not that she was tricked. It's not that she was... Um, Satan, the Hasatan, the, the Nakash, the Shining One who did the deception, it, it wasn't like he pulled a prank on Eve. Uh, the word actually means seduced. He seduced her away. Um, and he used half-truths that enticed her flesh. And so, you know, we, we could probably spend about eight hours studying the fall of humanity. But in short, her covering was supposed to be Adam. It was male and female, Adam and Eve. And he, Adam, was supposed to be watching and being her guard. Uh, woman was formed from the side of Adam and he was supposed to be her covering, and he actually failed his job, allowed her to be seduced, this beguiled away. And so to answer the question, if God, or since God knows all and sees all, why did he allow Eve to be deceived? Well, he allowed it because it was supposed to be man's role. He was giving us an opportunity to be equal partner with him, to be part of his family, to be part of his kingdom, to take dominion, be fruitful, and multiply. And it was Adam's role to watch over and protect Eve and be her covering, and he failed. So God delegated responsibility. Humanity failed that responsibility, and now, boom, here we are in 2022, the crazy world that we live in. But the good news is we don't have to live in a defeated state. Just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and, of course, death through that sin, we have life in Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. we got a pretty interesting question coming up after the break. This is Ask the Preacher. You can join in 863-682-1430. We'll see you in just a little bit. Now let's return to Ask the Preacher for this Friday afternoon, brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church. And for John, here's George. Welcome back to the program, everybody. I know you're super excited to hear what comes up next. And, you know, uh, that first question we had was about Adam and Eve, and we kind of answered that question with the fact that uh, Adam was supposed to be the covering for Eve and, and watch out for her. And it really ties in nicely with this second question we have uh, written here. It says, why can't dead sinners, or I guess why can't people who die, have their sins forgiven? And that's actually a really good question because there are some um, viewpoints even within folks who might call themselves uh, believers of Christ. You know, there, there's different ideas of 
uh, purgatory or, uh, you know, there's some kind of second chance after you die or whatever. And, uh, well, the scripture kind of mentions something different, not, not kind of, I mean, it does. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment and that's in Hebrews 9.27. Some people think that was written by Paul, the apostle. Some people think that was written by Peter. And, and other scholars think it, you know, it's uh, some other person. But either way, whether it was Peter or Paul, Romans was written by Paul. And he goes on to explain this pretty plainly, pretty eloquently. And I'm just going to do a little reading from Romans chapter 5. And this is from the New Living Translation. It's a little bit more uh, modern vernacular, but it, it says this in, in Romans 5, 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone has sinned. We skip down to verse 15, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin uh, and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to keep reading here in Romans chapter 6. We're going to skip down to verse 6. It says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin, just a little segue, a little pause here, remember that sin is violating God's law. So sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Verse 7, For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, he's talking about baptism here and, and our choice to follow Christ. So since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Now we're going to keep going on. How does this all tie into when I physically die? Why can't my sins be forgiven? We're going to keep going down here to uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? Well, you are now ashamed of the things that you used to do, things that uh, end in eternal doom. Verse 22, but now you are free from the power of sin and you have become slaves unto God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to keep going here to Romans chapter 7 because this is the crux of it. We had to set the foundation in chapter 5 and chapter 6. Now here's the foundation and the answer to this question of why can't I be forgiven after I die? Can I just live my life how I want and, and then ask God for forgiveness after I die? This is Romans chapter 7. Now, brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he's alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband died, she is free from that law and doesn't commit adultery when she remarries. Pretty simple concept there. Verse 4, so brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. Now, it's important to point out, he's not talking about God's law of the Torah. He's talking about the law he was just referring to in, in chapters 5 and 6, this law of sin. So continuing, verse 4 again, 
Brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and you are now united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Verse 5, when we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires and produced a harvest of sinful deeds, and that resulted in death. But now we have been released from that law, for we died to it, and we are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way, in living in the Spirit. Verse 7, well, then am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. And he goes on to explain it. And here's the point. Every single one of us, just like in chapter 5, we've all violated God's law. His law is written on our conscience. Everybody, no matter what uh, society you're from, whether you're in a tribe in Papua New Guinea or whether you're living on, you know, Fifth Avenue in New York, whether it's the year 2022 or it's, you know, the year 2022 uh, BC, everybody has written on their heart God's law. Everybody knows from birth it's wrong to lie and steal and to cheat and to, to murder. We know these things. It's our conscience. And we all violate God's law. And when we violate God's law, the wages of that work, our payment, is death that we read in uh, chapter 6. So, just as you have chosen to violate God's law while you were alive, you're now married to that law. And so when you die in Romans 9.27 and you stand before God, you're married to this law of sin. The only hope that you and I have to escape this marriage to our sin is to be crucified with Christ so that we no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in us. And that's why this question is really important, uh, I think, and it's really a crux and it ties in nicely with the the first question is, uh, it, it is our choice to violate God's law. And in like manner, it can be our choice to uh, submit ourselves to God. And, and here's what I find pretty interesting, and it's something that, oh, newsflash, even, even radio talk show fill-in guest hosts such as myself deal with sin. Oh, I know we're not supposed to talk about it, right? You know, Christians, holier than thou, and nobody deals with sin. But, you know, everybody deals with it. And the Bible says, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar, Everybody deals with it, and Paul goes on to explain here in Romans that, look, the things that I want to do, I don't, I don't do, right? This is chapter 7, verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it's good, it's perfect. The trouble is with me. I'm too human. I'm a slave to sin, and I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, those things which are right, I don't do them. Instead, I end up doing the things I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law, and that it's good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that it does. And here's why this is important, uh, because we are supposed to, if you call yourself a believer in Christ, if you call yourself a follower of Yeshua, we are supposed to be, as Jesus said, 
daily picking up our cross and following him. We are supposed to be crucifying our flesh. And I, I bring that up because it's this verse we read just a, a little bit ago where it talks about us no longer being slaves to the law of sin, but we are now slaves to God. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, without holiness, no man will see God. It is our obligation, it is our duty, and it is our reasonable service to present ourselves a living sacrifice every day, becoming slaves unto God and divorcing ourselves from the law of sin. We've been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. Christ now lives in us. Really good questions. The first one about Eve, why did God allow it to happen? Second question being about uh, why we can't just be forgiven after we die? Why can't we just live how we want now and, and then uh, be forgiven afterwards? Really good questions. I encourage you, call in. Phone number is 863-682-1430. You can have your questions answered. You are listening to Ask the Preacher, and we will see you right after this break. And the second half of Ask the Preacher kicks off. Ask the Preacher, where you can have your Bible questions answered. Brought to you by Believer's Fellowship Church. John Freed is normally in the house, but today it's all George. Welcome back from the break, everybody. It is so good to be here in studio. I love doing this. Hey, this is just a reminder. Today is July 22nd. You have three days. July 25th is the last day to register to vote, and we have very important elections coming up here locally. We have the school board uh, for Polk County. There are four great conservative candidates who are not incumbents, who uh, really need to be on the school board if we want to make sure that we're uh, affecting a grassroots local change and protecting our children. So I encourage you, make sure that you register to vote and then get out to vote uh, when it comes time in August. So with that being said, I want to get back to the questions. We had some pretty good ones today. The first two I thought were pretty, pretty darn good. And then we got this third one, which, um, mm, I need everybody to uh, pull out a bottle of water and get ready to uh, take your hard-to-swallow pills because this is going to be a tough question for some folks. It is written down here, um, are wealthy Christians condemned already? Since the Bible says it's easier for a camel to pass through a needle eye than a rich man to enter heaven. Ooh. Okay, I'm going to make a bunch of people angry here, and that's okay. You can call in and join the conversation and tell me how wrong I am. But let's get to this question. So first of all, this is in reference to what Jesus said, uh, where Jesus was talking, and he mentioned that, as the, the saying goes, that it's it's easier for a, uh, a rich man to... Uh, it's, it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, and... I'm just going to start off the bat with, I'm a nerd. Let's remember that. I really like to know what we believe and why. And so um, just a little background for you. It's very possible that that phrase about a camel passing through the eye of a needle is actually a poor mistranslation. And the reason for that is uh, the word, uh, and I'll butcher the pronunciation, camelus. It's spelled K-A-M-I-L-O-U-S. But another very similar word is spelled K-A-M-E-L-O-U-S. And one means a camel, as in a, you know, one humped uh, creature of the desert. And the other one means a cable, a rope. 
And so some folks, even going back to, to church fathers in the 4th and 5th century, they, they make this argument that, well, it's not really a camel like a, a living animal. It means a cable, like a rope you would use on a boat, which, you know, uh, tends to make a bit more sense considering all of the boat and fishing uh, analogies and parables and uh, idioms that Christ would use with his disciples who were mostly fishermen. Um, and it really changes the, the dynamics of what he was saying. And so let's take a look at some of the words that Jesus had to say about wealth and riches. And, and let's find out if uh, being wealthy is a condemnation. And so if we look here in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm reading from the King James Version, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he gives us the uh the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven. And he goes on and he's giving this, really this, this what I would call the doctrine of Christ. It's, it's his doctrinal views on Scripture. And one of the things that he says here in 24 is, uh, no man can serve two masters, for he will either uh, hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Some other modern translations will say you can't serve God and be enslaved to money. And everybody in the world, even even those who don't profess to be Christians, know the, the proverb that the love of money is the root of all evil. A lot of people just say money is the root of all evil, but that's not the case. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so Jesus is giving this, this uh, doctrine of his where he says, look, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other, or you're going to cleave to one and reject the other. Make your choice. And he's going on and he's really talking about life styles. And in verse 25, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life and what you'll eat and what you'll drink, uh, nor for your body and what you shall put on it. It's not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Behold the birds of the air. And he goes on and he says, God takes care of the birds and he takes care of the flowers of the field. And even King Solomon and all of his splendor wasn't as lovely dressed as the, the wild flowers of the field. And so serve God. He already knows what you need. Take care of him. Make your focus the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. That's verse 33. Now let's take a look at another scripture, and this is one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, in case you guys didn't know, I run a business called Polk Technology Solutions. We help companies grow. We help companies uh, diagnose problems and pains that they have, and we fix them. And one of my favorite verses that I constantly remind my clients of is Proverbs uh, 13.23, which says, The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous, and a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children. So Proverbs tells us that a, a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children, and that the wealth of the wicked is laid up or stored for the righteous. So that doesn't seem like God's condemning being poor. And then Jesus here in Matthew says, look, you can't serve God and mammon. And this all ties back to the question of, uh, the question, let me look at it here again. Are wealthy Christians condemned already since the Bible says it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven? Well, if Proverbs tells us that it is a righteous man who leaves an inheritance for his children, and Jesus says, look, it's not money that's a problem, it's 
loving money. It's serving it, being enslaved to it. Rather, seek God's kingdom. Well, I think what Jesus is saying is perfectly in line with Proverbs. If we're supposed to be righteous, we should leave an inheritance for our children. And so then it goes back to this whole camel thing. It would be impossible for a camel to fit through an eye of a needle. An eye of a needle in Jesus's day was about uh, three millimeters wide by about seven millimeters long. And archaeologists have actually discovered these. And so that's how we know the exact measurements. That is impossible to get a needle through there. But if the word was mistranslated and isn't supposed to be camel, but is supposed to be cable, because again, the only difference is an E and an I, and it's very possible that a, a scribe messed that up. Uh, if it's supposed to be a rope and a cable, think about this. To fit a large rope that's two or three inches wide through a seven millimeter hole, it's very unlikely. It's very impossible unless you take that rope that is made of hundreds, millions, thousands of individual threads. You strip it all away and all that's left is the core thread. All of the layers of that rope that make it, you know, a, a huge rope strong enough to hold an anchor on its own strength. You strip all of that away till you get down to the very core. And then, then that cable can fit through an eye of a needle. And I think that's probably what Jesus was referring to because he says, if you come to me, you have to have faith like a child. And just like we talked about with the previous question of, of sin entering the world through Adam, and now we have an opportunity to have life through Christ, it's not done by our own good works. It's not done because of how righteous I am or how good I am. It's done by simply having faith in him. And in order to do that, I need to strip away everything that I was, all of those layers of the rope that are protecting me and making me strong, I have to strip all that away and just let Jesus have the core so that I can humble myself and pass through the eye of a needle, if you will. So I hope that answered the question. Uh, I hope that makes sense to everybody. And uh, it, it goes to prove that, you know, it's a, a pretty interesting thing the Bible does. Uh, it is alive. It is living. You know, uh, John tells us in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And um, there's a great Bible scholar who is now with the Lord. His name was Chuck Missler. And I love Chuck Missler because he was a nerd as am I, and he would speak nerd language. And that really struck with me. And, and one of the things that Chuck Missler would mention is how the Bible is a broad spectrum. And just like if you were to give a message during a time of war, you wouldn't necessarily put the whole message in one line of data. You'd kind of spread out the message so that if one line of the uh, message got intercepted by the enemy and destroyed, the whole message would still get to where it's supposed to go. And the Bible is very much like that. You can read the Bible and um, you can get not only the Logos word, what's written plain and, and black and white, and it's set in stone, things like thou shalt not steal. That's pretty obvious. It's written in, in stone, literally. Uh, but you can also have the rhema word. What is God speaking to you right now? Because he is drawing us. You know, the Bible says no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit calls them and draws them. And so 
It's just fascinating to me that even in a story like this, we can see that what might have been a scribe error, changing a, an I to an E, even that uh, has a, a profound way of being used by God uh, to call people to himself, to call people to a life in Christ. This is Ask the Preacher. It is a call and talk show. You can join the conversation, have your questions answered. 863-682-1430. We're going to take a quick break and we'll see you in just a minute. Hey, but right now we have Ask the Preacher. Your weekly chance to get Bible questions answered. Brought to you by Believers Fellowship. Here's George. Welcome back from the break, everybody. Just a reminder, 863-682-1430 if you want to have your questions answered, join in on the conversation. I just want to make something clear. Uh, before the break, we were talking about, well, you know, the question came in, can Christians or are wealthy Christians condemned already? And I think it was pretty obvious from what Jesus said and from what Proverbs teaches that uh, it's not being wealthy that's a problem. It's loving your money more than God. Uh, money is a tool. It is no different than a saw or a hammer. It can be used for good, but if you're obsessed with it, if you use it incorrectly, you can cut off a limb or severely damage yourself. So uh, I, I think the Bible makes it pretty clear. It's it's God who takes care of us, you know, and we do go through trials. Jesus said in this life, you will have tribulation, you will have troubles. And we've talked previously on episodes how it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And, you know, sometimes either just through poor planning or, or poor decision-making on our own, poor financial skills, we find ourselves in poverty. But it is not ultimately, ultimately God's will that you be impoverished. Uh, there are people who go through it. There are different economic states. But in any state, God will take care of you because he's a good father. I want to go on to our next question here, which is um, kind of a Socratic one. It's more philosophical, and, and I'll do my best to explain it. The question is, if Jesus is God, why did he beg himself at Gethsemane? Now, just to set the context for you, uh, when Jesus is praying in the garden, he is asking, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me, and he's sweating blood, and he's in turmoil. And I mentioned this to somebody earlier today. I was, I was talking to... Um, to a client, and I mentioned, you know, that's really the saddest story in the entire Bible. You have Jesus's best friends, and Jesus knows what he's about to go through. He's about to endure his passion, you know, having the skin ripped off of him by a cat of nine tails whip, and he was going to be separated from God and literally become sin on the cross and crucify the sin for our atonement. He's, he's ready to go through this, and he asks his best friends would you pray with me for an hour? And they fall asleep in the garden. It's like crushing. Jesus, he's, he's you know, sweating blood. He's, he's praying so intensely. And, and then he goes back and they're all asleep. And it's just like, Jesus says, could you not pray with me for an hour? Like the disappointment, the hurt, man, it's crazy. But anyway, he's praying at Gethsemane and he's asking if there's any way to let this cup pass for me. And so the question is, well, how can he be God and beg himself? And I'm going to explain this the same way I explained it to my six-year-old. And I'll do my best to, to make it make sense without sounding like a condescending jerk. 
I am George. That is my name. But I also have other titles. My wife calls me Honey. My children call me Dad. And my father calls me Son. I am one entity. I am one being. And I have three different roles in that example. I am a father to my children. I am a husband to my wife. And I am a son to my father. God is one. He is the father. His name is Yahweh. He is the son. His name is Yeshua or Jesus. And he is the Ruach. He is the spirit. All three of those are the same entity. Let me give you another example I like to use. Within my own body, I am a physical body. I am an emotional being. And I am a will. And when it comes to exercise, which is a terrible thing, I hate exercise, uh, my physical body says, hey man, you're sore. Don't, don't get out of bed. Just stay in bed for five more minutes. Your legs hurt. Don't do it. My emotions are like, nah, yeah, let's keep sleeping. I'm kind of getting mad that you're waking, waking me up this early. And then my spirit, my will is like, no, no, let's do this. We're doing it. And within my body, I have three distinct personalities, if you will, uh, that are all me. They all make up me. Now, what's different about God, Yahweh, this triune entity that created all things, is they're all in perfect will. Uh, the will of Jesus is the will of the Father. The will of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, uh, the Spirit that lived inside of the physical flesh of Jesus. It's all one person, and that's a poor phrase. It's one entity. He is God. Um, but Jesus was in his physical body with the Holy Spirit inside of him praying to the Father. Just like, and this is a coarse analogy, just like when I get ready to endure terrible, terrible exercise, not to downplay what the passion was, but it's an example, I choose to bring my body and my emotions into alignment with my will. Well, Jesus was bringing his physical body and uh, the spirit all into agreement with the will of the Father. And that's why he endured what he did. And it's a challenge for us to do the same thing, to bring ourselves into alignment with what the Holy Spirit says. And it goes back to what we were talking about in Romans. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves unto God. When we have been crucified with Christ, we will also be resurrected with him. So if you have not made a decision to divorce yourself from the law of sin, and crucify yourself with Christ and submit to him and become a slave to him and his will, I'd encourage you to do so because after you physically pass from this world, there's no other time. That's it. You were listening to Ask the Preacher. We'll see you next week. Remember, you can go to askthepreacher.com and submit your questions. Have a great weekend, everybody.